You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 104, The Role of Psychologists, the American Psychological Association's Report on Trafficking of Women and Girls. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, in the category of things I just wasn't even aware of, was that the American Psychological Association is involved with trafficking efforts and has been doing a ton of work on it. And, you know, I'm familiar with APA slightly from my graduate work and just some of the style guides and things like that. Of course, APA is a huge organization. And they also are uh, very much involved. And in fact, you've talked with them recently. And there's a report that we're going to spend some time looking at in today's episode. And I also think it's going to be the start of us. Uh, having some more conversation around uh, another partnership here, really, on how we can all learn from a different discipline that will help us all to end human trafficking. Well, there are two things that really drove my interest in looking at this report. First of all, um, someone reached out to me recently to meet with them uh, at their office, a psychologist, because they wanted to know kind of how to get started in being part of, of an interdisciplinary and collaborative effort mm. right here in Orange County. Cool. And as I sat down, uh, they pulled a big, thick binder off of the shelf and said, you know, I went to this training. I got, I don't know what to do with this stuff. And I began was to realize- Was the training on trafficking? Or? Yeah, it was a really big, um, uh, very intensive training that covered everything. And uh, okay. I remembered what we talk about so often with the Pithati image of the great big jug filled full to overflowing, but all we have to do is find our place, our handle to help move the whole issue forward. Yes. And I realized that if we want practitioners and professionals from other disciplines that we're beginning to realize, like mental health, are crucial to prevention interventions as well as restoration. We have to figure out how to give them a handle that they can reach and mm. grasp, and this is where they're ready to start. They don't have to hold the whole jar. And um, so I I looked at the APA website and realized that they actually produced a report in 2014 out of their women's programs office. And I want to emphasize it's out of their women's programs office because the report is called the Report of the Task Force on Trafficking of Women and Girls. So upfront disclaimer, you all know that I'm always an advocate for men and boys who are trafficking victims as well. And I think this report is easily disseminated across um, that perspective. So really today is going to just be an opportunity for us to get a, a, a big kind of a, a 30,000 foot um, perspective on what this is going to look like. Sandy, before we even start, um, I can sort of imagine this, but how does um, I, psychologists all do different things? I mean, there's, it's such a broad field. 
But I'm curious, just when you've talked with psychologists, how do they tend to, um, what's the what's the professional interest in this issue? I mean, I can ex- imagine a few of them. And how were the places where psychologists might come across this issue and be able to really contribute in a way that would help us to really end human trafficking in a very meaningful and strategic and productive way? Well, I think the intersections with victims happen in so many different places, for sure, in schools where children are at risk, again, in domestic violence shelters, in substance abuse issues, because you know we've had so many stories of children who their first experience of being commercially sexual is exploited was by a family or friend mm-hmm. who used them to purchase drugs. So all of those intersections. And then, in, you know, thinking back to last um, podcast with labor trafficking, we often end up providing resources for victims of, of workplace injuries, workplace um, violence, and often counselors are part of that picture. And if they just have a few more pieces of, of the, the constellation of, of stars, if you will, so that they can see what they actually are seeing, so they can actually make sense of it, then we're going to be able to identify um, victims of human trafficking that are commercially sexually exploited or exploited for labor. That was some of the things that had come to mind for me too when I was looking at this report and uh, I, I'm sort of like, how many times we've had a conversation on the show, Sandy, where we've come across something or a report or an organization doing something, and I've thought to myself, like, like how naive I am. Like, of course, psychologists are a huge component of this, and 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 hadn't really thought much about that until we, you know, I saw this report and and you introduced it to me. And now thinking of like all those different ways that there are interactions and all those situations you just mentioned, and so many more that we're not even mentioning that this is a huge opportunity for uh, this this field to really influence this conversation in a really proactive and positive way. And and this report, especially the executive summary, um, brings this into um, a, a psychologist's office or, or practice in an accessible way that they can begin to engage with just um, a short amount of time. They don't have to read six books and go to seven trainings. This executive summary does a masterful job of summarizing the issues around human trafficking. And particularly the focus is what it looks like when you're sitting in the role of a psychologist. So it doesn't belabor all of the issues that you have to do when you're doing a training for a general um, community presentation where law enforcement and medical people, they all have different perspectives. So this by page 11, you're already getting into uh, practical ways to address this. And mm. I, I insert the number of pages intentionally because in my classroom, my students want to know if they have to read how many pages is it? Because it's it's a lot of work to sit down and digest something. And when you talk about a book or a document, if you're specific that this is going to be this number of pages, it does make it something I'm going to put on my calendar because it's measurable. 
Good. So, and and we should mention that we're this report's available publicly, right, Sandy? And so we'll is, link to it on will. our show notes exactly. as well. So if you're looking for access to it, of course, Google's always a great place to start. But you can go to our uh, our show notes at uh, gcwj.vanguard.edu and then find the podcast. And uh, under episode 104, you'll find a link for it. And, and we'll put the link to the executive summary. And I recommend that as your first um, task to read. Um, but then you can, we'll also put the link to the full report. And then there are Perfect. areas that you can can specifically investigate. So one of my, my favorite parts of this is that it actually, by page nine, starts talking about the role of the psychologist. Because when you start introducing an issue that you want me to get involved in, I want to know, first of all, what is it you want me to do? Yeah. And there are some terrific recommendations here on the role of the psychologist. Probably one of the most important because we saw this coming to the surface in the federal strategic action plan is we need more research so that we can really understand the issues better. So their first role is to conduct research. And this will help in conceptualizing, designing, conducting, analyzing, and publishing investigations. We are constantly running into issues of not being able to do something because we have no evidence-based practices. And the psychologist, the field of psychology is research-driven. Tremendous resource that they bring to the table. Um, They also recommend that education and training is part of the role of the psychologist. And they even mention undergraduate as well as graduate and postdoctoral and in my classrooms where we teach on commercial sexual exploitation of children and on human trafficking, my experience so far since we've been doing this for the last four years has been about half of our students are psych majors. So there is genuinely a natural inclination to want to investigate this issue. Mm. The, the connection that they then move to is education and advocacy because when you have begun to um, develop the knowledge, then you take that to policymakers to contribute to sound public policy to address health and social issues and improve human welfare. And that is a direct quote. We don't want people to make policies based on, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And they haven't thought through the unintended consequences. And so the rigor of the psychological field uh, research and best practice is a great filter for advocacy initiatives. And that's where it seems like an organization like APA could really bring so many wonderful resources to bear through research there's so much yet to be explored around the issue sandy as much as we've talked about and highlighted research on the show it really is still very much just scratching the surface of what could be done and what we can understand and so that's exciting to see this this that the apa to be involved in this and to be engaging in a real substantial way and they have a history of taking really complex, um, maybe academic even sounding 
um, initiatives and translating them so that they're accessible at a public health, a public mental health perspective. Oh, cool. So they already have that track record. And I think that this, we're going to see more and more evidence of that in local initiatives and national initiatives. The kind of psychologists that we anticipate being more involved in this are not just clinical and counseling psychologists, but also psychotherapy, um, forensics, career counseling, um, school psychologists. There are just a number of different areas in psychology that will intersect in the issues that drive our efforts to prevent, to protect, prosecute, and to partner in the efforts to end human trafficking. The quote that I really pulled out of this executive summary is actually um, part of their central challenge to addressing the needs of survivors that are extensive and complex. And uh, they quote Shige Khan, and I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce your name right, we'll try and rectify that by talking to them maybe personally. Maybe, some why not? Interviews. Yeah. Um, psychologists have an obligation to gain competency regarding this population's unique constellation of mental health problems before providing treatment to trafficked women and girls. And this is a huge undertaking to bring those pieces together. But that is exactly what it is. It's about bringing the pieces together. It's not starting from scratch because some of those competencies are in multiculturalism and diversity, um, intersections of race, ethnicity, language, sexual orientation, gender, age, class status, religion, developmental stages, all of these things that are part of any psych program, whether you're undergrad, um, postgrad, or or doctoral. Well, and it, you and I were talking even before we started recording, Sandy, that um, you know we both know people who have friends or colleagues who are psychologists, and you know I'm always really impressed by the people I know who are psychologists that they they just have a really um, a great training to look at the complexity of the world and to see those different lenses that a lot of times those of us without that training don't necessarily see, but to be able to look through the different lenses of gender and diversity and a marginalized population and to really see some of those, those patterns show up. And so I think that that's just another example of how uh, psychology brings a wealth of knowledge, not only around this issue, but, uh, but because of all the amazing work that's been done in the, the, in the profession over the last, you know, however long psychology has been a profession of really understanding the human condition and being able to engage with people in a really holistic way. So I think that that's a really uh, exciting piece of this too. I like talking about the holistic aspect of this because sometimes there is a sense of this is kind of hopeless. And mm -hmm. if you're looking at this from, and in this report, it talks about um, complex trauma and secondary traumatic stress and compassion fatigue and vicarious traumatization, all those kinds of things. And yet at the same time, you have um, psych researchers like Anne Mastin, who wrote Ordinary Magic, which is a, a book of which 
chronicles 20 years of research on resilience. And when we begin to understand the secrets of resilience, and I love her title, Ordinary Magic, we have to have her, have to interview her for this because the the aspect of prevention that psychology can help inform in the classroom, in foster care programs, in in restoration processes where we see recidivism, uh, how can we build the resilience and just we have to ask questions. What is that ordinary magic? Mm, interesting. Yeah, that'd be an exciting conversation to have if, if we could have it done on, on how that happens. But the reality is that these kinds of very complex issues are going to be part of the intersection for any psychologist to be mindful of when they begin to recognize that, oh my goodness, the person sitting in this chair or in this support group is exhibiting signs of complex trauma that when I um, try to move them forward, I begin to understand, I think this is one of those red flags. And now what? And so there, there are some great recommendations in here for psychology um, professionals to maintain from the beginning. And the first one is for safety considerations for the client and for themselves. Because the idea of the fact that this is under criminal investigation or prosecution uh, means that there is somebody out there who is a criminal who's been exploiting this woman, this child, this boy, Mm -hmm. and they saw that situation as um, a moneymaker. Exploitation is about profiting by taking advantage of someone else's vulnerabilities. So it's it's a business model. And if you're getting in the way of someone's income, they are going to take steps to not allow you to stop that. So safety considerations, while we don't want people to be paranoid, we do want them to be careful. One of the best safety mechanisms is absolute confidentiality about the client's about where they are, this is critical to safety. And this means sometimes, especially for nonprofits, that you can't tell what you're doing in order to um, demonstrate that you're having effect wherever it is that you're, you're working, which can often be um, a mixed message because you need to tell your story in order to have um, the opportunities to raise funds to keep serving those um, who need your services. So of course. Of how course. do you do confidentiality, safety, and at the same time um, stay alive in a, a resource-scarce um, community? Mm. Those, are, those are hard things to work through. But this Um, This report has some excellent guidelines that they've put together for interviewing trafficked women and girls that uh, really demonstrate the need for ethics and respect and safety. And so we'll um, we'll pull these out, the 10 guiding principles. And of course, you know, I'm a health professional. Number one, always at the top, do no harm. Exactly. And sometimes that means that when someone starts to tell you 
what happened, um, you actually have to stop because it would be harmful for them to continue because you're in a, uh, a small group and it, it's not safe, whatever the circumstances right, are. Right, right. Do no harm. And, and Sandy, can I interrupt you yeah. for a second? You know, I think that it, that's also strikes me as just another reason that this is, this is the kind of thing that psychologists are trained for and used to, um, exactly. confidentiality, um, you know, thinking about harm and risk and all those kinds of things and, and liability. Um, and so that's, I mean, I think that just really speaks to the importance of having this conversation, this report and, um, and having, and psychologists really studying these issues because there's so much they bring to the table. And, and we are going to see huge um, increases in the kinds of, of psych support for our victims when we give psychologists a pathway to take their place and pick up their part in this battle. Um, just a, a real quick overview of these 10 guiding principles after do no harm, uh, know your subject and assess the risks. And when we're talking about assessing the risk, that means that if this is something you're going to become involved in on a regular basis as part of a task force, as part of, of a community effort where you're doing maybe pro bono counseling, you need to get a little more training just to make sure that you understand the risks for your client as well as um, for the people in your in your program. The referral information is also something you have to have prepared ahead of time. Who do you call when it's beyond what you can do? When it's um, someone self-discloses in a very different setting, and now you realize, oh, we have to call law enforcement, or we have to call child welfare, or so many different um, possibilities. So it's really important that if you work for an organization, you develop some protocols so everybody follows the same kind of patterns. But as we have often said in other podcasts here, don't make promises you cannot fulfill. Mm. It's not going to help victims to tell them everything's going to be okay. We're going to take care of you. Right. And then the door closes. Um, there is no residential care at your, your institution and they have no place to go. So it almost goes back to the doing no harm statement, Sandy, mm. because in some ways that's worse than if you said nothing at all, because not only do they still not have access to whatever service or, or resource that they needed, but now you've also broken trust as a as someone who could help in, in the as, as a healthcare professional or as a psychologist or an educator or whatever the role is. And so that, that's really a violation of that first principle. Yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of, lot of standards on selecting interpreters and coworkers. That's always an issue. Sometimes, um, an, a community member volunteers to be the interpreter and that may not be the best practice. Number five on this top 10 list of guiding principles, ensure anonymity and confidentiality. Do we keep on putting Emphasis on confidentiality, yes. Mm -hmm. And that means then number six is get informed consent. What is informed consent? When you go in for a medical procedure and they're going to cut out the hangnail in your big toe, you sign an informed consent that 
these are the possibilities that could be the outcome. But when you go in to talk to people about what's happening in, in your mind and your anxiety, um, informed consent looks very different. And how does, how does a child understand what you're doing? So those are areas that have to be part of, of the principles in your particular organization's protocols. Number seven is listen and respect each woman's assessment of her situation and her assessment of her risks to her safety. This is pretty much the guidelines that we've used for years in domestic violence. We say, oh, get a, um, a temporary restraining order. And she's like, no, I can't because I know this will happen. And it's the individual and respecting their concerns, their fears, their anxieties. Really important to listen. Don't re-traumatize the victim. Don't re-traumatize. That can mean don't ask them to tell the story over and over again because of the triggers. It may mean being careful about um, ways that small group interactions might trigger um, different members of the group. So it means being really, really careful. And number nine is be prepared for emergency intervention. Uh, Sometimes there is a sense of, I've got it under control, but don't be afraid to call for help and have a plan about what to do. And then put information collected to good use. And we're back to that first thing that the psych profession is so well known for is collecting data, doing good research, longitudinal studies, these are things that are really helpful in this particular field. So a lot that can be done. And um, and I believe you mentioned, Sandy, that there's also some general recommendations uh, made from the report and, it, and, it, and, and some of the things also that tie into the Federal Strategic Action Plan uh, as well. Yes. And in fact, one of the things that I, I really loved is that in their recommendations, um, they started talking right away about research, and that is part of the Federal Strategic Action Plan. Um, But it also in the Federal Strategic Action Plan, there is a great deal of emphasis on being victim-centered. And so their recommendations are also very victim-centered. It's not just about a particular therapy strategy, but they emphasize, and and you can see this uh, on the show notes, but let me just hit three things that I think are important from their recommendations. Um, Examine your own assumptions and biases towards at-risk groups. That is going to be a universal across whether it's sex trafficking or labor trafficking. Mm -hmm. Don't bring those with you. Be culturally sensitive. This is across all of the areas of research and education and advocacy as well as practice. So being culturally sensitive is a huge issue that would take um, a couple of podcasts for us to go through. And then finally, on these recommendations that I want to highlight is there is no one size fits all approach. We have to have um, a very unique and specific examination of what's going on in front of us and learn how to process that. And a place where a well-trained psychologist can really offer a lot of value, Sandy, in that one-on-one connection. And certainly there are uh, patterns that are seen between different victims and patients, but uh, but being able to bring that unique 
individual relationship or group relationship is so key to that. And um, being bringing unique perspectives on things is how we develop really exciting new research agendas. And I love the fact that this this report has research recommendations on this. So I just want to, um, first of all, mention to students who are listening, because I know many students are using the fact that they're in a master's program, a psych, a PsyD program, as, as a way to do research. And this particular report has a very extensive bibliography. If you're looking for where to start for your lit review, just don't even read the first 20 pages. Go straight to the bibliography. That I, I, I love looking at, um, at a report's bibliography because it takes me and I find new experts to, to read and see oh, different yeah. perspectives. It's a great research hack. I learned that in grad school too. Oh, uh, yeah. Know, if I you find confessing a really thing that I have this. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, when you find a really good article, a really good report, you go look at where did they reference it from, and then you end up finding gold in that of people you never heard of and resources and people doing great research it's uh yeah it's it's awesome and there's there's tons here and that is probably for some of you who are way down the road on on this issue as far as mental health you probably are still going to want to go and look at the show notes because you're going to want to see that bibliography and out of that then they've made some recommendations and i'm just going to highlight a few of these in case you're in a place where doing research is your next step. The complexity of human trafficking issues to be addressed from an interdisciplinary and multi-sector response. What does that look like, especially when we're talking about legal and governmental factors, um, labor laws, those kinds of complexities in a multi-sector response? We need more research on how that works. Research methodologies have to be developed because if we keep starting and stopping and we don't use common methodologies, then we're not going to be able to generalize to um, a broader broader application. So it's really helpful for us to um, consult with others. Um, the community-based participatory research should be considered as a promising approach for addressing this topic. There are lots of great opportunities for looking at prevention, um, at demand reduction, asking questions about the role of women's empowerment, um, the role of religion, the effective cross-disciplinary collaboration, consumer and business models, primary prevention efforts. The list is incredibly long, and most of these are things we've talked about. Pornography is on here. How do we... How do we do better research on that? The um, demographics and characteristics and motivations of consumers of goods and services that involve trafficking, especially commercial sex. That's an area of research that a grad student or a team could take on very easily. The, um, the list of research continues on so that we're not just looking at at the victims and how they're victimized, but who is the trafficker and how do traffickers become traffickers? What kind of typology uh, can we develop of traffickers? The idea of um, trauma 
and how trauma-informed traumatic bonding or Stockholm syndrome, how is that being demonstrated across the different kinds of human trafficking? And of course, I mentioned already, um, I'm fascinated with the idea of resilience and how that will reduce trauma-related problems in a victim that's been rescued. The... I don't want to read this to you, but I'm excited about the opportunities for research. And I really, if you decide that you're going to do research, I want you to reach out to us, email us. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and include that in your review on iTunes, because generating more momentum in research is going to be really helpful. We do not have evidence-based practices in so many areas of human trafficking, and that limits our ability to do good prevention and early intervention, especially. Well, and it's very much a mission of the Global Center for Women and Justice to study the issues, Sandy, first. And and so research is at the core of that. And as an academic institution, we're very much aware of that. And so while a lot of our work is on uh, uh, being a voice and making a difference as well, uh, at the core, it is really examining the best, uh, the best practices that are research-based. And uh, to the extent that you can add to that conversation uh, and and those of us in the community can add to that conversation. I think that that's, that's huge. That's huge for all of us. So I'm excited to see, and I hope people do take that call to action and reach out to us if they're working on research to let us know. And so it can be, we can feature it and talk about it at a conference. I mean, that's, that's just the kind of things that if we can get that information out there is going to be really helpful to everyone. Absolutely. Well, Sandy, I am, uh, I'm so grateful for you bringing this report to, uh, to our community We'll have a link to it on the show notes. As mentioned, uh, this is episode 104, so you'll be able to find that online. And of course, if you've uh, come across questions as we've been talking today, I hope you'll reach out to us at gcwj at vanguard.edu. That is uh, the best way to reach us. Or you can call us at 714-966-6360. And Sandy mentioned a moment ago, leaving a review on iTunes. If this show has been helpful to you and you use iTunes or Stitcher, leaving a rating or review, just taking a couple of moments to do that is really uh, makes a big difference on whether people find the show. And there's lots more people now who are searching online for resources on ending human trafficking. And so that's a real way you can make a difference immediately. So thanks in advance if you do that. And we'll look forward to talking with you again in two weeks. Thanks, Andy. Thank you, Dave.